Greetings, adventure. Welcome to D20 Academy Podcast. I'm Shallow Kaneshiro, and this is episode 22, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica Review, part 1. Hey guys, today I'm going to be doing something a little bit different than usual. I'm not going to be spotlighting a particular monster or class, or talking about maybe some controversies in the D&D community, or, uh, you know, topics to help dungeon masters and players um, in playing the game and getting inspiration and all of that. Instead, I'm going to actually be reviewing um, one of the Dungeons & Dragons official products, uh, kind of going over the entire book, um, uh, you know, t- telling you guys um, kind of what it's all about, all the cool things about it, um, the good, the bad, um, but what Wizards of the Coast did, did right, what Wizards of the Coast did wrong, and uh, if maybe this, this book is for you, um, or maybe not. So I'll just kind of be, you know, reviewing uh, this this book in particular, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Uh, it's one of Wizards of the Coast uh, products uh, for D and D that they that they released recently, uh, someone recently, and um, so I split into two parts. Uh, the first is kind of focused on an overview of the um, of the the whole book of, of the the world because it's a it's a campaign setting that that you can use in your Dungeons and Dragons campaign, and the uh, you know, I'll kind of be just talking about an overview and then as well as things for character creation and kind of the main aspects of, of this this uh, campaign setting and this book. And then in the second part uh, next week, I'll be talking about things for the DMs, um, such as the, the details of like how the world works, how to run adventures in the world, as well as the bestiary uh, in the back with all the different stats of all the different monsters and characters that populate uh, this world. So without further ado, let's just get into it. So um, this this book, The Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, is actually uh, was released almost a year ago in November of 2018. Um, so this review is is a bit late. I've actually been wanting to do this for a very long time, ever since I started the podcast. But I haven't really found the perfect window uh, in in my schedule and such to be able to talk about it and review it. Um, I think it's a really great pod, uh, product. I really like a lot of the things they have in here. Um, so I've been wanting to review and talk about it on the podcast for a long time, and I think I've finally found the time to do that. But yes, it's been out for almost a year now, um, but I did notice I didn't really get a lot of action, didn't really get a lot of coverage um, uh, on the internet or kind of in the community, so I kind of wanted to bring it back out into the light because I think, once again, it's a really, really cool product, it's a really cool book, and I, I think it, it deserves uh, much more attention uh, than it actually got, at least from what I was able to, to see. Um, so, I mean, I love this book so much, actually, and I love what they what they did with this and with this world and this campaign setting that I was convinced to do my next D&D campaign, actually, in, in the campaign setting of Ravnica, um, just because this, this book is so cool and what it has to offer is super inspiring. Um, so I actually, it made me change my plans for my next D&D campaign being about pirates and swashbuckling. Um, I'm going to prolong that one for a while and instead do my next D&D campaign focused in Ravnica just because the world is so cool and I want to use all these cool new features and such that this book has. Um, so Ravnica um, is a world uh, originating from the famous uh, trading trading card game Magic the Gathering. Um, you, I assume, have heard of Magic the Gathering. Uh, it's the most popular trading card game in the world. It's the original uh, trading card game. Um, nowadays, there's like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and all of that, but Magic the Gathering, I think, is is the biggest, uh, most popular. There's still a, it's growing actually, even to this day. Uh, the community is expanding. Um, it is a really great game, actually. I I play it. Um, I'm not like a pro player 
or spend uh, tons of time on it, time and money on it and stuff. But I, I do really like the game. Uh, I have a lot of friends who play it. Um, I like going down to my local game store and, you know, going to the magic events they hold there every once in a while um, when I have a window in my schedule. Um, it's, it's a really fun game. I really recommend getting into it. Um, it really is a fantastic game uh, with really uh, a really good team behind it. Um, but actually, uh, Wizards of the Coast, which, as you know, owns Dungeons & Dragons and has been producing all the material um, for the past, uh, you know, decade, two decades, um, they actually created Magic the Gathering. Wizards of the Coast created Magic the Gathering in 1993, um, and uh, D&D was actually bought by Wizards of the Coast in 1997, and D&D and Magic the Gathering have kind of been uh, Wizards of the Coast's two, like, big franchises. Their main uh, products that they've been selling for, for the past... Uh, couple years uh, kind of the main things that they're focusing on but if you're kind of unfamiliar with Magic the Gathering um, or don't really have a lot of information on it or how it works don't worry I'm not going to spend this podcast episode talking about how to play the game or any of that um, there's a re- lots of good information on the internet if you want to get started with the game uh, once again I do recommend getting into it it's fantastic just keep in mind you might get addicted and end up spending tons of money on it <laughs> um, but basically in 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 Magic the Gathering in um, Magic, uh, there is a new Magic set uh, that is released every three or four months um, that keeps the game kind of fresh and the rotation of, car- of cards efficient. Um, a Magic set is essentially like a chunk of themed cards, um, a couple hundred or so, and they release a new Magic set uh, about four a year. Um, and then there's a couple other ones sprinkled in there um, that kind of have specific focuses for different Magic formats and such. Uh, I'm not going to talk about too much of Magic the Gathering, how it all works here, um, but essentially... With almost every new Magic set, uh, it is focused on a new world or a plane. Um, now, the planes in the Magic the Gathering universe work differently than the planes in D&D and the multiverse and all of that. Um, but essentially, there's like these different planes that uh, very special characters can travel to. Uh, and the story spans over these different planes. And the special characters who are able to travel through planes called Planeswalkers... Um, and they go on adventures in these different worlds and stuff, and that's kind of what the story is, is built around. Um, but uh, each of these planes kind of has its own themes. is based on, like, you know, cultures and history, historical things um, from the past, and also, like, fantasy pop culture and sci-fi pop culture. And they're all really cool, um, all these different worlds. Um, they're continually coming out with new ones, uh, and they're all always really exciting and, and has, usually have a really well-defined theme and such. Um, one of the fan favorite worlds of Magic the Gathering, though, one of these planes, uh, which has, you know, is actually loved so much that the, it's been returned to three times in the game. Um, new Magic sets have come out, and they've gone back to the Ravnica uh, three times, Ravnica City of Guilds. Um, and it's become such a, a, a favorite world, such a favorite plane in the Magic the Gathering community um, that Wizards of the Coast... I guess decided to create a uh, uh, a book to be able to take the world and allow D and D campaigns to be able to be played in it, um, which I really like because I once again I love Magic the Gathering, I love the world of Ravnica, and also um, the book was released around the time where they were just starting to release uh, new sets, uh, Magic sets in Ravnica, so that kind of timed up um, perfectly. So people who were playing Magic could maybe get into D and D. People who were playing D and D might actually get into Magic. Uh, I think it's a really good concept. I really like combining the two worlds because I love both games, and I think they can, you know, cut, I, I love the, the worlds and the stories and the characters in, in both Dungeons & Dragons and Magic, and I think that, you know, it's a good idea to be, like, sharing uh, the things between them. 
Um, so quickly though, to understand Ravnica and how it works, um, before I get into to the character creation, which is going to be kind of the bulk of this uh, episode, I want to talk about one of the core mechanics of Magic the Gathering, um, because uh, Ravnica itself um, is based upon this, this central mechanic in Magic the Gathering, and that is the color pie. Um, if you didn't know, Magic the Gathering is um, a game with five different colors in it. White, uh, black, blue, red, and green. Um, and these different colors are used to, you know, you put down lands and they create mana of this color. You spend the mana of the color to cast cards that require mana of that color. Each card it has its own color uh, and such. And when you build decks, you choose from like one to five colors. Your deck can include any amount of, you know, any of the five colors in it. The typical deck has like two to three colors. Um, anyway, each of these colors kind of has their own focus uh, mechanically as well as thematically. Um, so white uh, is thematically very focused on like life and structure and the military. Um, and mechanically, uh, white typically helps you gain life, create lots of tiny soldiers, um, bolsters those soldiers. That's kind of white's focus. At the other end of the spectrum of the color pie is black, which you know thematically focuses on like death and necromancy and pain and destruction, and the cards of that like drain people of life, and you you know lots of the monsters are zombies and all of that. Um, so Magic the Gathering is very much thematically and mechanically based upon this 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 color pie of five colors. Um, it's a genius uh, mechanic. It's built into every single aspect of the game. Um, it keeps the game uh, consistent, but also fresh, and it's just, it, it's great. Magic the Gathering is just great. Go play it. Um, but basically, you understand that these five colors is what defines magic, and and the whole game, everything is built around these five colors, and each of the different play styles they uh, match up to and such. Now, the world of Ravnica is, is built on the concept of a plain-wide city, so it's just, an, the whole plane is just filled with a city, and it's ruled by ten different guilds. Uh, and now each of these guilds is defined by a different two-color combination, right? White-green, white-black, white-red, whatever. And this not only dictates these guilds' cards' mechanics and focus in Magic the Gathering, but also their thematic and flavorful elements, right? So you take two colors from the, from the Magic the Gathering color pie and combine them, and so the cards uh, that represent places or events or characters from this guild um, will cost those two colors, um, and their focus will kind of be a combination of those two colors' focuses, right? Um, and so you kind of have to understand this because that's how Ravnica works in MTG. Uh, these ten guilds, each of them is defined by this different two-color combination, and um, so they all kind of have their own focus and their own themes stemming from the, the two different colors that they um, pull from, right? So real quick, I just want to go over the five colors. So as I go through the different guilds, uh, the, the ten different guilds at the end of this episode, you can kind of understand their focus and their uh, theme a little better. So I kind of explained white and black, um, but then there's red. Red is focused on passion and fire and, um, you know, efficiency and quick quickness. And so the the lots of the red... Uh, cards in Magic the Gathering uh, deal damage to creatures, blow them up. Um, it produces monsters who are fast and quick and uh, all of that. Uh, green is focused on nature and growth and 
um, the the cards are very much like big monsters who can stomp over little like other little monsters, um, making those those big monsters stronger, um, gaining access to more mana uh, to be able to buy more cards. And blue is of course the best color in Magic the Gathering. If you ask anyone who plays Magic the Gathering, blue is the best color, also the most annoying color. Um, blue is about intelligence and knowledge and secrets and um, mechanically is just super annoying. Uh, you're able to cancel out other people's cards, you're able to counter their spells, you're able to steal their creatures, you're able to draw cards, look at your opponent's hands. Blue is very powerful, really strong, really good color, also really annoying. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the five colors, there are different focuses. Um, so now when I talk about kind of the different guilds, how they're each based on two different a different two color combination, you can kind of see how those two colors define uh, this, this guild's theme. Um, so, like I said, Ravnica is a, uh, a plain-wide city, so it's, it's a massive city that spans the entire plane, uh, which means that it, it's a little bit different than your regular uh, D&D world, like the Forgotten Realms or Eberron or, you know, something where there's places of wilderness and there's forests and there's caverns and mountains and all these different kinds of biomes, right, that the party can adventure to and f find treasure there and monsters, um, and then, you know, every once in a while they'll come to a, a city or a town or a settlement. Um, in Ravnica, the entire world is a city um, and a also pretty advanced city. Um, they don't have, like, crazy, like, electricity or, you know, super crazy technology like iPhones or whatever. But they do have magic and they do have lots of um, efficient uh, mechanical procedures uh, bolstered by magic. They have uh, airships, I believe. Um, they have, you know, ways of plumbing and um, sending messages and uh, kind of like vehicles and contraptions. And so it is, it is a quite advanced uh, society and, and city, uh, which means that there's not a lot of like, um, you know, you won't, you won't stumble across like uh, a, a very poor tribal like village or anything like that because the entire thing is kind of covered the entire world is covered in a city um, that is, you know, pretty advanced um, and technical. This There is some aspects of nature, though, still. There are um, these uh, underground oceans uh, beneath the city. There is um, some nature preserves and forests um, that are, can be found uh, throughout the city. Um, and there are also, like, areas where the city has collapsed or been overtaken by nature. Um, kind of turning into this kind of wild, um, crazy uh, wasteland. Um, and basically, this world is ruled by ten uh, different guilds. They each have their own place in society. They each have their own different focuses, which I'll get into later. Uh, the guilds, in fact, are the best part about this campaign setting, the best part of this whole world. And how they built them and how they constructed them to work in a D&D setting is genius, and I love it. And wait till a little later in the episode when I start talking about it. Um, but basically, these ten guilds all have a tentative peace with each other. Um, they're each led by by different guild leaders. Um, uh, one's like a massive, all-knowing dragon. Another one is like a crazy sphinx. Another one is literally a demon, uh, like a demon lord. Uh, another one is a council of ghosts. Basically, they're all led by different guild leaders. They all have kind of tentative peace. There's still some you know, infighting, and there's still some brawls and such, but for the most part, they, they do have 
peace and not absolute chaos and war. Um, and uh, they all, all kind of have their own turfs and such. There are still lots of areas which are, you know, are, the turf is not owned by any guild in particular. Uh, people from different guilds have to interact with people from other guilds all, um, every day all the time and such. Um, and they may have, like, their petty squabbles and, and whatever. But for the most part, there's a tentative peace, and that's because of something called the Guild Pact. The Guild Pact is kind of this magical contract that was written after this big war between all the guilds um, that kind of bound them into uh, the tentative peace that they have. And so there can never be another kind of big war or big conflict between all ten guilds. This contract, this Guild Pact, has taken different forms over history, but is currently um, in... The Guild Pact is actually in the form of a, a person, a character named Jace Balaran. Um, he's one of the iconic characters of Magic the Gathering. He's one of those special people, those planeswalkers who can travel between planes. Um, he's actually called the Living Guild Pact. Um, so as long as he lives, um, the the guilds must abide by the, by the contract and must abide by their tentative peace. But because he can travel planes and he has to save the world from lots of different threats with his friends... He's always travel. He's not in Ravnica for you know very often. He's always traveling through other planes, going on his own ventures. And while he's away, the guild pack kind of begins to um, diminish, and um, the guilds can start to kind of vie for more power and start to get into bigger conflicts and such while he's away. And uh, that's kind of the history that they provide within the book. And so by the time you're going to be playing your campaign, um, if you're basing everything off of where it kind of sets you in the history of Ravnica uh, in the book, that's kind of the time that it's at. Uh, Jace is still alive, he's still traveling all around the plains, and while the Guild Pact is still in place, um, it's, it's uh, you know, getting weaker and weaker as Jace travels more and more away from the city, um, away from the plain, and the guilds are beginning to um, get more and more hungry for power and such, and conflicts are beginning to rise, and that's kind of where you can start your campaign. I guess you could also go into different aspects, uh, different places in the history of Ravnica, but because that information is a little harder to find uh, and such, and if you're not a super big Magic the Gathering nerd and kind of understand the world of Ravnica and the iterations of its history throughout time, I'd suggest just going with uh, the place in history of Ravnica that it provides uh, you at, in the book. Okay, um, I'm going to talk about real quick... Um, playing a campaign in, in Ravnica. Um, I've read through the book a couple times now. Um, once again, I really like it. I really like the world. But it is not, you know, meant for every playgroup. Um, it's geared towards more of a specific themes and flavors of a campaign. And other kind of themes and flavors of campaigns might not fit uh, best in this campaign setting. So I think Ravnica works best when the campaign is focused around intrigue, mystery and politics um, because of the ten guilds and the politics in there not only within each the politics and leadership within each guild but also the relations with each other and secrets and assassination and all that kind of stuff is all tied up uh, in Ravnica uh, it's just the perfect world to run a mysterious intrigue political based campaign um, so definitely if you, if you you and your playgroup is into that and would like to play a campaign like that Ravnica is definitely uh, the world for you it doesn't fit, however, uh, campaigns focused on adventure and exploration into new lands and delving beneath things to find treasure and going into dungeons and exploring the wilderness because there's really not the wilderness, there's really not these areas to be able to explore in the world because it's just an entire city. And 
Um, also, heroic fantasy may not work as well, um, just because the focus is much more on these ten different guilds and the relationships between them than like this a particular group of people who can like kind of rise up as heroes and such. Um, but once again, you can kind of change it, morph it to fit the kind of campaign you want to run. Um, but just uh, I think that it fits best into a campaign focused on intrigue, uh, mystery, politics, all that kind of stuff. Okay, now I've kind of given you an overview of Ravnica, the book, how it all, you know, kind of a little bit of the history of the world and such. Um, let's get into uh, the aspects of character creation, the new races and classes and all of that. Okay, so like any other campaign setting for Dungeons & Dragons, Ravnica has its own list of races that exist. Um, so there's some races in the Player's Handbook that don't exist, and some new races uh, that exist uh, specifically in Ravnica. So I'm going to go over those now. Here, let me flip to those pages in, in, in the book here. Um, so uh, if you have the Player's Handbook, if you're using the regular races, um, here are the races that don't actually exist in the world of Ravnica. Dwarves, halflings, gnomes, half-orcs, tieflings, and dragonborn. Those races do not exist in, in the world of Ravnica, um, but there are some new ones. Um, so the, the races that do actually exist that are playable in Ravnica are human, elf, half-elf, centaur, goblin, loxodon, minotaur, simic hybrid, and vidalcan. If a couple of those were weird to you and things you've never heard before, that's okay. Some of them are specific to Ravnica and Magic the Gathering, and I'll explain each of those in a second here. So, for humans, they're essentially the same as they are in uh, kind of the classic uh, campaign setting world. Um, there's a lot of humans at Ravnica. They can hold any position in the city. Um, no human has actually ever held the, the uh, position of a guild leader, just because... Um, no humans have really ever been able to become powerful enough to kind of vie for that um, position, as most leaders are things like dragons and angels and sphinxes and demons, beings which humans just really won't be able to compete with. But they do hold positions in every guild. Uh, they have all kinds of different jobs in the city. Uh, there's a variety of all kinds of humans, um, you know, kind of just the classic human in, in a D&D world. Elves um, are pretty similar to elves in, in kind of how they're described in the Player's Handbook in the Forgotten Realms. Um, they, you know, they still like nature and, and forests and stuff, but also understand civilization and are still, you know, into magic and all of that. Um, they, there are high elves and wood elves um, and dark elves, so the three sub-races of elf are still in this world. Um, but there's just a couple differences explained in the book. Uh, for example, the Dark Elves, um, actually, they look a little different, and they're, they're called something different. Um, and, of course, you can play Half-Elf, because humans and elves exist in this world. There can also be Half-Elf, uh, you know, children. Okay, so if, and getting on to the, the new races in this book, uh, some of these are featured in other things like Volo's Guide to Monsters and such. Um, but they are also included in this book, just in case you don't have those. Um, okay, so the first one we're going to look at here, excuse me, while I readjust my position, um, is the centaur. So centaurs, uh, if you're not aware, they stem from Greek Roman mythology. Um, it's like a, a being of half man, half horse. So they have the torso and up of a human, uh, a head, a torso, two arms. But below the waist, it is actually becomes the body of a horse. So they have four legs, they have a whole horse body. 
um, and so they're they're quite larger than than most other uh, you know beings. They're very based in nature, um, and like in clans and community, um, they're very fast. Um, they're very strong. Um, and they're 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 a pretty interesting race. I think they're pretty cool. Um, they had this abilities to charge and also the ability to attack with their hooves. Um, you know, they're not exceptional or super unique, um, but they're, they're, they're a pretty cool race. Um, next is Goblin. Goblins have been included in Volo's Guide to Monsters and I think also a couple other um, products by Wizards of the Coast for Dungeons & Dragons, but the stats for the Goblins are the same, um, and they're just, you know, small creatures, uh, very quick, uh, you know, very crazy and zany. Um, in Ravnica in particular, Goblins are a little more comical. They have, bit, like, really big noses and really big ears, and they're a little crazier and, and kind of zany and all over the place. Um, but the the stats and what they get is the same in wherever else a goblin is included. Um, like in Volo's Guide to Monsters. They're small, they can see in the dark. Um, they can kind of hide or disengage with the bonus action. They have the ability fear of the smallow, which allows them to deal extra damage with an attack. I hate that ability, it doesn't matter. Um, so once again, nothing really unique. Um, but, you know, they're cool. I like goblins. Um, but now we get on to the awesome ones. This is the Loxodon. The Loxodon, if you haven't heard of it, and you have access to the internet, go ahead and look up Loxodon, L-O-X-O-D-O-N. It is a race that has appeared in multiple planes in Magic the Gathering. It's basically like an elephant humanoid. Um, they're big, over seven feet tall. They have the stature of a humanoid, but they have the head of an elephant. They have thick, leathery skin. Um, and they're just like nice, chill guys. Um, they love nature and religion, and they're very peaceful and tranquil and strong. Um, very loyal, powerful. Uh, I think they're they're really cool. It's a really interesting, cool race. Um, their abilities are not super amazing. Um, they do get a kind of a bonus to their AC when they're not wearing armor, just because of their thick uh, skin. Um, but what is cool is they, they get a trunk, and they can use that trunk to do simple things like hold a torch, or open a door, or kind of hold another object, which I think is, is, is a little cool. Uh, maybe might not have some super big repercussions in like combat and such, but I think is, is a cool little thing to, to have a, a trunk which can do some small activities for you. Um, and uh, another uh, creature similar to a Loxodon is a Minotaur, uh, which also stems from Greek uh, mythology, which is like a bull human. Um, so they have the stature of, of a humanoid, but they're covered in, in fur. They have a bull's head with horns. Um, minotaurs are awesome. Um, and even in Ravnica, they're, they're really cool. They're very, they're strong and fierce and passionate. Um, they're, you know, fierce, fiercely devoted to, like, their family or their guild. And, um, they have some bonuses to strength and constitution. Uh, they have the ability to charge forward, stab with their horns, knock people down with their horns, and be, be a little intimidating. Um, so, so they're they're pretty cool as well. Then we get to uh, the really interesting ones, uh, starting with the Simic hybrid. So, uh, a Simic is actually one of the ten guilds, which I'll get into in, uh, later on in this episode. Um, but a Simic hybrid is essentially uh, another race, typically a human or an elf, who has been experimented on by the Simic and been given uh, biological modifications. Um, so, you know. Usually it's tied to some sort of animal, um, some sort of like aquatic amphibious animal. So maybe they have gills, maybe they have a shell, maybe they have extra arms that end in crab claws. 
maybe they have uh, the ability to like sticky fingers so they're able to like climb things really quickly. They have uh, manta um, kind of wings so that they can glide, they can spit acid. It's really cool. You get to kind of customize your own hybrid character, choose the modifications that they have. Um, and so it's a really cool, interesting race. I wouldn't say it's super powerful or super strong, but it's unique and really interesting. Um, and then the final race that you can play uh, is Vidalkin. Vidalkins have also appeared a couple times uh, in in different magic uh, planes, in different magic worlds. They kind of just look like uh, humans, but they're blue-skinned. They have kind of more squashed noses, kind of bigger eyes. Um, they're very intellectual uh, people. Uh, they use logic and reasoning. Um, they don't have a lot of like raw emotion or compassion or sympathy. Um, they're, they're pretty interesting. They have... Um, bonuses to intelligence and wisdom, um, and prof- you know proficiency in some of the things like history or medicine. Um, they are also partially amphibious, so they can breathe you know water for for about an hour. Um, one thing to note is they have an ability that gives them an advantage on all intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws, which I think is pretty powerful. Um, if you've played D and D at all, you know that people are making wisdom saving throws all the time. There's tons of different features and abilities uh, that make uh, that force another character to make a wisdom saving throw to resist an effect. And getting an advantage on all wisdom saving throws at level one, I think, is very strong and quite powerful, and is also helpful even in the rare cases when you're making intelligent and charisma saving throws. So I think Vidalkins are uh, also pretty powerful, um, also a pretty cool, interesting race. Okay, now that we've kind of looked at those, uh, let's get into the uh, kind of how the classes fit into Ravnica, as well as two new subclasses included uh, in this book. Okay, so what's really cool actually in this book is um, that it explains um, how each class fits into the world, um, what characters of that class and those subclasses, how they might fit into the different guilds, what the position in those guilds may be. Um, I really like it. it. It gives you an explanation of all these different classes and how playing one would affect the world and where they fit in in this in this campaign setting, which I think is really helpful and really cool. Um, and also, they have lists of how each subclass, what guilds they fit best with, um, which I also really like a lot. So they have all that information in the book. I'm not going to uh, read any of it right now. If you get the book yourself, you can look into that. But all the classes fit good into the world. All the class all the classes are fine. Um, I think things like Ranger or Druid, things a little more nature-focused, uh, may seem a little out of place uh, in, in, in Ravnica just because it's like basically covered in cities. Um, but there are places of like nature and forests and such, um, and like nature reserves and oceans underneath the ground that, you know, you could still kind of pull from and such, but um, it's much more focused on the city. Um, but yeah, Rangers and Druids and other nature things they fit into the world well enough, and they can work. Um, it's just maybe not the um, a super perfectly thematic fit uh, to, to the setting, but I, I think it works fine. Um, okay, so it co- uh, includes two new subclasses, um, as I explained. Uh, one of them is a cleric domain called the Order Domain, because clerics need more subclasses. They don't have enough already. Um, and this domain kind of just talks about discipline and, you know, being able to restrain others and keep order and lawfulness. Um, it fits into a couple different guilds, which I'll talk about um, in a second here. 
Um, but just kind of going over the domain itself, it's cool. It gives you access to some really cool spells. Um, it starts um, pretty focused and consistent in, in the first few levels with the abilities you get, but it gets really all over the place in the later levels. kind of loses its focus and consistency of what it's supposed to be. It's weird. It's kind of all over the place. Is it powerful? I guess so. It's fine. I don't know. It's it's not super crazy, and I don't really like how the consistency and focus kind of deteriorates as you, as the for the other features at the higher levels. Um, it just doesn't really start to make sense at all. Um, but it, it's fine. It's cool, and I think it, it works pretty well for for a couple of the guilds. Um, if you if you're playing with those guilds. Um, on, uh, the second subclass they added is a new druid subclass called Circle of Spores, which is focused on, like, obviously spores and fungi and kind of that side of nature and the cycle of life and all of that. Um, it really only fits into one guild uh, in Ravnica, which is a little, little disappointing that they didn't create a subclass that is maybe a little more general and can fit to other characters, um, or maybe even more subclasses. The book only includes two new subclasses, um, and the second one of the two is super focused to a certain guild, which I don't really like. I wish they had either added more subclasses or generalized the subclasses more so that they can fit into a couple different guilds. Um, but anyway, the circle itself is fine. At least it stays consistent and, th- and thematic, uh, you know, n- unlike the order domain. Um, it's not very powerful, <laughs> but it's cool. It stays thematic, and it's cool, like, you can emit spores from your body. You kind of have mushrooms and fungi, like, growing on you and giving you features as it grows across your body. You can, like, send fungal infestations, spread spores. It's it's pretty cool. It's, yeah, thematically, I think it's pretty interesting, and I think it's, it's uh, a really cool aesthetic, but not super unique or powerful, um, and I don't really like how it is super focused on, on a certain uh, guild. Uh, so the book actually provides a really good section on party um, and party balance in regards to the guilds and the classes. Um, it talks about how different ca- how characters of different guilds might become a party, um, how the how you know it might work with uh, people of different guilds in a party, how they might relate to each other and connect, and the adventures they might go on. It also has something that I think is a really cool addition. It's a small addition, but I think it's a really cool addition. These kind of themed parties. So, like, it has, like, a classic party, a law and order party, a mad science party, a nature party, a couple different, like, uh, party uh, things, like, concepts, themed parties. And within each one, they have a list of, like, what what class and, and guild combination you might see in there. Uh, so, like, in the law and order party, you're probably going to see um, an Azorius um, wizard or you know, a Boros fighter, whatever, if Azorius and Boros, all these guild words I'll get into a second. Um, but I, I do like this. Uh, these themed parties kind of helps people build a party um, together. You don't need to use this or base your party off of this or anything. But I think it's, it's, it's a pretty cool um, little uh, addition that can kind of help people out, definitely new players who maybe don't fully understand party balance yet, party, how it all works, and also if they don't really understand the world and the guilds. Uh, very much. Okay, now uh, let's get into the guilds. This is the best part of the entire book. Uh, this is the coolest thing that they added uh, in in this book. I'm super excited to talk about the guilds, uh, so let's just get right into it. 
So guilds, once again, there are 10 guilds in Ravnica, and when you build your character, you want to choose one of these 10 guilds uh, to be kind of your character's starting guild. Um, now, what's really cool about these guilds is they add so much. They give you access to new spells if you're a spellcaster. They have tables that you can roll on or choose from for contacts you may know inside and outside your own guild. There's systems for gaining renown in the guild and then gaining different ranks, like named ranks in the guild. And when you reach a new rank, you will unlock a new, uh, maybe you get access to new items, uh, new areas of influence within your guild. You get access to minions, pets. It's really cool. Um, the book provides tons of information and examples of how characters might act, look like, or how they might, who they might know, depending on which guild you choose. They have example, ideal, bond, flaws, personality traits for each guild, uh, a new background option for each guild, suggested alignments, races, and classes for each guild. Um, there's even a small bullet point list of things um, that kind of are focused, the guilds focus on, um, that players uh, looking for those things might find attractive. Uh, just to kind of help some new players figure out which which guilds they might want to play uh, based on their play style and such. Um, also, each of the guilds views on every single other guild. Um, it's the beefiest part of the book. It's just the best thing ever. Um, and I encourage uh, you as a player to read through the entire, uh, all the whole chapter, read through all the guilds. Um, so you can, you know, make a decision based on which one you like. Also getting to get familiar with each of the guilds. They're all really cool they're all really interesting in their own way they all fit kind of different kinds of players and, and player types it's just really the best thing ever but what makes it so cool is essentially it gives players a third option in character creation now in dungeons and dragons uh it's one of the most iconic like classic things is you choose a race and a class right uh when you when you start off you choose your starting race and your starting class and this defines your characters um kind of abilities, um, their focuses in combat, their focuses outside of combat, their strengths and weaknesses, all of that uh, is based on your race and your class. But this book provides a third thing, a third aspect for your character, and that is their guild. And I just really like it because it provides not only things uh, initially when you choose the guild, like a race, but also different features um, that you can gain as you level up um, and as you gain renown in, in the guild just like a class, how you how you gain new features every time you level up. Um, it's just a really, really cool aspect for people who've been playing Dungeons Dragons for a long time and are getting a little bored of the same races and the same classes. Getting access to this third option uh, changes things dramatically. Uh, it, it really freshens up and revitalizes the game and can really bring people's interest back uh, into the game because now they have a third aspect from which they can choose from. Um, I just really like what they did with the guilds here. If you can't tell, uh, <laughs> uh, I really enjoy everything um, that, that they have in this book about the guilds and how the guilds work and fitting it into your D&D campaign and building a character uh, based on each guild. It's, just, it's really well done, and I commend the people at Wizards of the Coast um, for such a great job because I think this is just a really cool aspect and definitely the highlight of this book and uh, one of the, the main reasons you should uh, play your campaign uh, in, in, in Ravnica. Um, also, just a quick note, you can be guildless, so you're not actually attributed to any guild if you want. Um, personally, I think that's dumb. Uh, uh, if you are guildless, you don't get any of the things, access to anything from any of the guilds, access to new spells or backgrounds or anything. Um, and you can, you know, it's fine, I guess, if, you're, if your character's backstory and stuff is based around being guildless, maybe eventually you will choose a guild. 
whatever. I just think it's not super fun because just choosing a guild is so much fun and you get so much from it. And uh, so I think I encourage everyone to play a guild, choose a guild and play that guild just because it's such a cool aspect of, of, of the world and, and of the, the game. Um, but you can go guildless if you want. Um, also, you can like change guilds, but it's a pretty long, laborious process. You can read all about that in the book. I'm not going to get into all the nitty-gritty here. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so once again, I, I think anyone playing a character should read through all the guilds, get familiar with all the guilds, and then find the one that best suits them. Uh, be warned, though, all the guilds are really cool, and it may be difficult to kind of settle on a single one um, because they all have really cool themes and focuses and are really inspiring. Uh, the book also has great art, uh, mostly because they pull a lot of the art from the Magic the Gathering Ravnica sets, and Magic the Gathering has some of the best art in existence. Um, so the art is really evocative and really inspiring in this book. But also all the descriptions and all that stuff within the guilds are really cool. Uh, it's really easy to get tons of ideas for tons of different characters within the city of Ravnica when you read through the, the, the chapter based on all the guilds. Um, so if you're a player, read through all of them. Find the one that you think f suits your character best. Um, it's just, I love the guild system, it's so cool. Um, but also I think DM should also read through every guild, just because the, the ten guilds um, and the relationships with each other is very important um, to the world. It's kind of what the whole thing is built on. And um, so the DM needs to be very familiar with all ten guilds and their relationships with each other and how they fit into the world. Okay, so now that's kind of an overview of how the guilds work. And now let's get into each individual guild. I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty, all the rules, all that kind of stuff, all the spells you get access to. But I want to briefly describe each one and what kind of play style and such it fits. Um, also, like the rank and renown system for each one. They're all really cool and really interesting. Um, so let's just get on to that before we close off this episode. Okay, so starting off uh, in alphabetical order, we have the Azorius Senate. The Azorius Senate uh, is based uh, off of blue and white um, in Magic the Gathering of the five colors. They are the blue and white guild. Um, and they are kind of the uh, legislators, rulers, judges of the city. They make the laws, they enforce the laws. Um, they're not like the overarching leaders. Power is split between the ten guilds. But they do probably, of all of the guilds, have the most power and jurisdiction and, and authority. Um, they have these three different columns... Um, which are similar to the three uh, columns of the, uh, of you know, the American government, right? Like the executive branch and the judicial branch and the legislative branch. Um, and uh, they are focused mostly on, on law, lawfulness. Um, so if you're playing a character of the Azorius Senate, most likely your alignment will be lawful. And um, it will probably also be neutral, so maybe lawful, neutral. But you can also be lawful, good, lawful, evil. Um, but for the most part, Azorius is based around lawfulness and order and structure. Um, playing a character in the Azorius Senate, you might be some kind of um, p uh, a member of the police force, maybe. Uh, you may be a... Because uh, the, the police force has all kinds of people, um, soldiers, uh, or like fighters who are able to arrest, um, but then also like mages who can, you know, confine people, and uh, the clerics of the Order Domain, uh, the subclass in this book, would also fit good into here. Um, with abilities to be able to, like, charm people and such, um, to get them under your control, um, to get them arrested or whatever. Um, and then there's also a really cool aspect, um, a really cool uh, char character type in, in the Azorius Senate, which are precognitive mages, which essentially spellcasters who, like, 
glimpse the future and so they see f- f- crimes before they happen so they can arrest the perpetrators um and so if you're like a wizard of the school of divination or like a cleric of the knowledge domain you might be like a precog precog mage uh, which i think is really cool uh, you could also be like a diplomat or or uh, an orator uh f- for the senate if you're more of kind of like a bard or kind of a a, a charismatic character um and the the rank system and renown system uh, if oh by the way if you're not sure what renown is and how it works um, it's kind of detailed in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Basically, it's an optional ruling in, in your DNA campaign. If you have, like, guilds or you have, like, different organizations or, like, thieves' guilds or cities, um, you can have uh, players track their renown with each organization. Basically, when they do things that aid that, that, that organization, they complete missions for that organization, they can gain renown in, in, within that organization, and when they reach certain levels of renown, they may gain a new title, they may gain more influence, may gain access to more things. Um, and so depending on which world you play in, you can use Renown. Um, for more information on how to use that in your own campaign, you can read about it in the Dungeon Master's Guide. But I would highly suggest using Renown in uh, Ravnica, and they kind of detail how to use Renown in Ravnica. Because for, e- for each guild, you track your Renown for each guild completing missions for each of the guilds and such. And when you reach a, a certain number, amount of Renown in your, your guild, you can reach different ranks. Um, and these ranks allow you to gain and once again access to certain things. Um, in the Azorius Senate, it's very structured. The rank and renown system is very structured. There's really cool bonuses and upgrades for each rank you can get. Um, you can get access to some soldiers and law mages that eventually will act beneath you. You can get access to more influence and power within the Senate. It's, it's really cool. Uh, the, the, the system for renown and rank within the Azorius Senate is pretty structured and uh, pretty interesting. Okay, now let's get on to the Boros. The Boros Legion is the second guild, um, and they're kind of the military. Uh, they, they fight for the common good. They're very passionate, zealous, um, and they're also ruled by an angel, and there's some angels in their ranks, so that's pretty cool. Um, they are usually good aligned, um, sometimes lawful aligned as well, but they can be chaotic good um, or neutral good. But for the most part, they, they will be good. Um, they focus on doing what's right and protecting the innocent and such. Um, so they're kind of like the valiant knights in shining armor. And they fight for justice. And um, the only thing is, like they, maybe their zealousness and passion can kind of get um, a little uh, too crazy. And that's when the Azoria Senate has to step in uh, and make sure they keep order. Um, but then the Boros Senate also has to kind of keep the Azoria Senate in check by making sure that their laws and such that they're enforcing are, you know, moral and uh, ethical and such. So the boys kind of like the military, uh, kind of the holy paladins and clerics and uh, angels and the, the kind of the radiant light uh, of the city. Um, if you want to kind of play like a soldier or a strategist or like a sky knight, uh, knights that like ride these big birds... Um, you should play part of the Boros. Uh, just like the Azorius, they have a really cool structured uh, rank and renown system um, as, they, as you can progress in within military rank within the organization. And there's even, there's even some options. So like uh, when you get to a certain rank, you can choose between two different options, um, which, which is pretty cool as well. Okay, the third uh, guild is House Demir. This one's super interesting. Um, this one's based on like secrets and information and assassination and disguise. Um, their alignment is mostly neutral, but uh, there's also, it's also pretty common for a Demir agent to be evil. Um, so they're all about intrigue, deception, subterfuge, 
Um, they, they deal a lot in information and secrets. Um, there's even a new, a cool new spell, uh, cantrip, called Encode Thoughts, where you can essentially steal um, the, the thoughts, the memory of another person, and then, like, hold it in a tan like tangible like string and transport that uh, to another person so they can decode it and gain that knowledge. It's really cool. Um, if you want to play like an infiltrator, a thief, an assassin, a spy, House Demir is for you. Um, the, the, the ranks renowned system is, is pretty cool in the House Demir, uh, House Demir as well. Uh, it's just the bonuses are not as tangible and obvious like some of the other guilds, which just give you like minions or amount or items. It's a little more abstract and has to do with like your power and your, your informants and your contacts. Um, also, it should be noted that when you play House Demir, you actually start the campaign masquerading as another guild, which I think is also super cool. And if you're one of those people, uh, players who kind of likes to hide some secrets and such from the other players, you should play House Demir, um, and you could be masquerading as someone from another guild, uh, and there can be this big reveal where you reveal to the rest of the party that you're actually of House Demir. Um, you know, maybe you've been spying on them or something. I don't know. It, it's just really cool. Uh, I really like House Demir a lot, and I think it uh, kind of has one of the pillars of what Ravnica is about the the inf like the intrigue and the mystery of that Ravnica holds, and, and the politics and all of that. I think is defined very well in House Demir. Okay, now we go on to the Golgari Swarm. They're about rot and darkness, shamans, necromancy. Um, they're also led by like gorgons and liches. They live in like the Undercity, which is basically like like the sewage system and um, all these these kind of this basically another city beneath the actual city with ruined buildings and churches and such. Um, and they kind of deal with just yeah rot and and spores and filth. Um, they kind of they work as like a hive mind. Um, they're they're themed on like insects as well, uh, necromancy, zombies. They're 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 cool. Uh, they're mostly neutral neutrally aligned, but they could also be. Uh, they're mostly also evil uh, commonly. If you want to play like a shaman, a necromancer, or someone who like explores the deep dungeons and caverns, um, you'd probably be a good uh, c character in the Golgari Swarm. And actually, the, they have a pretty structured rank system. Um, but their upgrades and the things that you get at different ranks is really only in regards to the power and the influence you gained instead of tangible things. Um, next, we have the Gruul clans. These guys um, focus on nature, anarchy, strength, power. Um, they dislike civilization. They want nature to reclaim uh, Ravnica once again. Uh, so they are very chaotically aligned. Um, they're, if, you're, if you're playing a barbarian, a basher, an anarchist... Um, then you're probably going to fit into the Gruul clans. Um, they live in, like, the wastelands, the rubble, um, and, it, they, you know, their main focus is trying to destroy, tear down civilization and set up, um, you know, let nature take over and chaos and anarchy take over. The uh, rank system is actually super dope. Uh, it's based upon, like, the, the clan that you're a part of, and it grants you access to, like, clan members and wild animal pets as you progress, and, like, eventually you get the option to, like, even start your own clan, and it's really cool and interesting as well. Um, so I, I do really like the rank and renown system for the Gruul, uh, the Gruul clans. Okay, next we have the Izzet League, uh, which is super cool. These guys are based on the red and blue colors of the, the Magic Gathering color pie. Um, and these guys are just there to focus on experiments, explosions, discovery, brilliance. Um, they're, they're chaotic. Um, usually chaotically aligned, they just, they're all about, like, learning new things and experimenting, 
and there's you know it, it's kind of a wacky kind of uh, zany guild with lots of like goblins and contraptions and explosions and potions, and uh, it, it's it's a pretty fun one. Um, they like focus on steam power and uh, flamethrowers and stuff. Um, if you want to play like a scientist, an inventor, an alchemist, a wizard, uh, especially someone like a goblin or in it, like a brilliant Vidalkin, um, you could fit into the Izzet League. I think they're really cool. Um, the rank system is okay, um, and it grants you, though, at some certain levels, it grants you uh, some cool items, like uh, aforementioned flamethrowers, and also like machines to allow you to like help control your spell casting. Okay, after the Is It League, we have the, in my opinion, the best guild, and it's the Orzov Syndicate. They are black and they're the black and white uh, colored guild. They are three things at once: they are a bank, a church, and a mafia, and they deal with debts and uh, undeath, kind of in the form of, like, spirits and ghosts. Um, they are lawful, mostly uh, commonly evilly, uh, evil-aligned. Um, they're kind of corrupt, uh, you know, priests and bosses, enforcers. Their ranks are made up of ghosts and vampires. Um, they're just, just like, they're just, like, these goth characters who run, uh, basically a church, which is actually a front for a bank where they deal with debts and tithes and uh, corruption, and that's also just kind of a front for a mafia. They're really just a big gang um, family, and they try to gain control over the citizens using their enforcers and, uh, you, you know, donating money and then taking in that debt later on, and uh, it's ruled actually by a council of ghosts. Uh, and a kind of a theme that's really cool in the Orzov is that, like, if you owe a, owe a debt to an Orzov, uh, to the Orzov Syndicate, which basically everyone eventually ends up in some sort of, sort of debt to the Orzov, and it's very hard to get out of it. Um, even after you die, you are turned to a ghost, and you have to keep on paying off that debt uh, to the Orzov until they finally let you go, uh, pass into, uh, you know, after death. So I, I think the Orzov are really cool. The theme is awesome. Um... I just think they're a really cool, interesting guild, and if I was to be a character in a Ravnica campaign, I'd definitely play a character of the Orzov Syndicate. Uh, I, I love them so much. Okay, um, but I'm biased, so you, you look through them, you find the ones that you want. Um, the the, the um, rank system is really cool. I really like it as well, also for the Orzov Syndicate. It grants you some soldiers and priests and thralls uh, at your disposal, uh, which is pretty cool as you rank up. Okay, we're almost done here. Next, we have the Cult of Rakdos, which are also really cool. Um, they're basically just a big... Yes, they're a cult, but they're just like a big carnival. Um, they, they focus in pain and pleasure and thrill, blood, fire. Um, just look up the Rakdos on the internet. If you look through the book, uh, all the different art pieces um, are very evocative and inspiring. You'll quickly understand the concept of the Rakdos. They're just... Excuse me. Acrobats and um, fire dancers and little demons and spikes and chains and crazy performances that enthrall audiences with gore and, you know, fantastical spectacle. Um, it is a cult also because it uh, it's a cult basically for the guild leader, a guy named Rakdos. He's a big demon. Um, and everyone's just trying to, like, prove themselves to, to appease him and to, and to please him in their performances. Um... If you want to play, they're very chaotic, uh, mostly mostly evil as well. Uh, if you want to play an acrobat, a performer, a ringmaster, a torturer, uh, Rakdos is for you. Just look up the images uh, of some of the card art for Rakdos. Uh, some of the art in the book as well. 
uh, it's they're super cool, a really really cool unique uh, guild. Um, the ring system is also pretty cool, uh, and eventually it kind of like gives you your own show. You can become kind of like your ringmaster of your own show with your own performers and your own crew, um, which I think is really cool. Okay, we got two more to go. Uh, we got next the Selesnia Conclave. Um, they're focused on growth and faith and community and nature. They're the green-white colored guild. Um, they're usually good, uh, often neutral, um, and they kind of have these different, like, um, uh, what are they called? Like, clan, not clans, uh, I guess conclaves, um, where, you know, they kind of house around a tree, uh, and they, like, that community kind of, like, fosters that tree, and each of the trees also has, like, their own dryad, um, this kind of nature spirit that runs the, that little conclave. They're very, like, religious and faithful, um, but they're also paranoid of, like, all the other guilds, and they're scared that everyone's going to eventually try to band up against them and kill them. So they're also, at the same time, building up a big military. Um, they raise lots of people as soldiers within the guild. Um, but they have, like, pet wolves, and they can, like, ride wolves, and they can, like, you know, animate trees into fighters. And they focus on, like, peace and tranquility and community. Um, yeah, they're just, they're a pretty interesting guild. Uh, they're also really cool. And last up, we have the Simic Combine. I did mention Simic before, um, because one of the races you can pray, uh, play is a Simic Hybrid. Um, basically, Simic uh, is, they, they focus on experimentation, biology, progress, perfection. They're usually neutrally aligned. Um, if you want to play like a scientist, a guardian, a sage, um, then that the Simic Combine is for you. They're kind of aquatic-themed. Uh, they kind of rule over the, the underground oceans. Um, they're really interested in, like, fish and amphibians and animals and creatures. They, um, experiment on people and, and they're the ones who make the hybrids. They, you know, uh, like, graft body parts and things onto other people to modify them. Um, they, they're a little kind of creepy and maybe a little unethical, um, but they just, they care about, like, um, progressing, uh, humanity, well, not humanity, but because not everyone's a human, but... Um, you know, kind of progressing biology and kind of perfecting uh, humanoids and such. Um, they're they're really cool and they have a really cool rank system. It grants you access to beasts and agents. Um, and each of these guys, you can like customize them and their modifications. Uh, they're kind of biological modifications, whether they you know have shark uh, fins or like crab claws or whatever. Um, so the simic are really really cool and interesting. Um, and they are the 10th guild uh, in Ravnica. Okay, guys, that brings us to the end of today's episode, part one of reviewing the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. I have so much more to talk about. There's still so much more that this book has to offer. So look out next week for part two of this review um, as I continue talking about the things, kind of focusing on things that might help out Dungeon Masters and such. Um, I really like this this product. I really like all the information it provides, and I think you guys should uh, go out and take a look for yourselves, um, and you know maybe find out uh, a really cool world uh, that you can play your next uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaign in. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening, and have a great day.